welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. And uh, I am pleased to tell you that Jordan is on board from Powderhorn Guns and Archery. Jordan brought in some things for show and tell. And, uh, Brian, I'm reading this story uh, over at Coma Buzz. Listen mm-hmm. to this. Listen to this. At a candidate forum hosted by the NAACP at Historic Second Baptist Church in downtown Columbia Tuesday night, a Republican lawmaker, <laughs> really, a Republican lawmaker <laughs> attended uh, from Boone County and told Democrat candidates calling for new restrictions on firearm ownership they should instead get a gun to protect themselves and their family. Oh, what are they thinking? I have no idea. Well, let's what ask What kind her. of a person said that? Uh, Cherie Tolson-Reich, <laughs> maybe. Uh, and she is with us, Second Amendment supporters. Cherie, welcome. How are you? Good morning, Gary. Thank you for having me on today. Oh, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on board. I am curious. The only I'm, I'm not surprised you were the only Republican, but the intestinal fortitude to reach out and try and uh, influence some voters in the minority community is actually pretty smart politics. <laughs> Well, there were Republican countywide office holder um, candidates there, but I was the only Republican state rep there. And, you know, after the five Democrat state rep candidates, uh, each and every one, they're, you know, part of Moms Demand Action and Every Town and Michael Bloomberg's groups, that um, they all want more red flag laws. They all want uh, more bans, more gun control. And I got to speak last. And so when it was my turn, I said, (laughs) you know, what you really need to do, not make more gun laws. Criminals don't follow laws. So you can make all the laws in the world on the books and only law-abiding citizens will follow them. But criminals aren't going to follow them. And I said, here's what you should do instead. And, And the background I gave was in my district in Northeast Columbia. We have two gangs. We have the largest um, uh, shootings and murders in the Columbia area in my district. And I said, what everybody should do to protect themselves is go out and get trained. That was my key word there, trained, and buy a gun for to protect yourself and your family. You know, it's great when you get to go clean up. You get you get the last. <laughs> you get to have the last word, and with the progressives, it's like getting in the last word with an echo. And how was that received when you sent that message? So throughout the night of the forum, after each candidate spoke, what few audience members were there? It was very sparse. Trust me, uh, they would give a little clap. But after I made that statement. Um, only a couple people started to clap, and then some lady in the back goes, don't you clap at that? (laughs) And then it went dead silent. Oh, so your argument then is that gun control uh, leads to higher crime rates, essentially, right? Yeah, yeah, Ah. because uh, law-abiding and citizens um, will follow the law, but criminals don't, and... uh, you know, I wish I could remember what country in Europe that requires um, most of their citizens to have guns. But, you know, if people knew you had a gun, they'd be least likely to break into your house, carjack you, or, you know, accost you on the street. I think it's the Swiss, but I'm not sure. In any case, would you be surprised if I told you that John Stossel agrees with you? You know, he he can uh, surprise you sometimes. Well, if- let's let's check in. Hello, I'm Don Daler, and this is 2020 in Touch. 
On Friday, we had a new entry in our series, Myths, Lies, and Downright Stupidity. Of the 10 myths we covered, and you won't be surprised at this one, the most talked about was gun control reduces crime. Here's John Stossel. It's about the weapons, the guns, where did the killer get them? They're shocked at how easy it is to purchase a gun. It is simply too easy to obtain a firearm. The belief that gun control prevents gun crime is why many were upset this spring when a bombshell court ruling could put handguns back in D.C. homes. A court threw out Washington, D.C.'s 30-year ban on guns. And that's outrageous, said public officials. More guns, very simply, lead to more violence. I don't know how anyone could be serious in saying that because the gun violence went up when they banned handguns. Tom Palmer's one of the plaintiffs who sued D.C. over the right to have a gun. He's correct about gun violence going up. Since Washington's gun law passed, the murder rate actually increased, even while America's murder rate dropped. It's because guns can also save lives, says Palmer, as one saved his years ago in California. We were walking down the street, and this group of young men uh, took really strong exception to that. They stood up. 19 or 20 young guys followed us, and they told us, we're going to kill you. They'll never find the bodies. And I turned around and showed them the business end of a pistol. Just pulling out the gun was enough to stop them. Yeah, it works. Merely having a weapon and being able to display it when I was threatened saved my life. Now, you may think that carrying a gun, as Palmer did, is illegal in most of America. But it's not. Many people don't realize that today in America, in about 40 states, it is legal to carry a concealed weapon on your person. And in those 40 states, there is no more violent crime or murder than in states where guns are restricted. The town of Kennesaw, Georgia, went a step further and passed a law requiring every household to have a gun. Did they then experience a crime wave? No. Well, after the city ordinance passed, there was actually a decrease in reported crime in the Kennesaw area, especially violent crime. Now, I don't want politicians ordering me to have a gun, and the law isn't enforced here. But townspeople we talk to like the law. I think it makes people think twice. This is a very peaceful place to be. We should have guns. I mean, that's what uh, free society do. These maximum security felons said they fear an armed victim much more than the police. When you go to rob somebody you don't know, it makes it harder. And they said gun laws don't matter to them. They don't obey them. I'm not worried about the, the government saying that I can't carry a gun. I'm going to carry a gun anyway. It's impossible to know exactly how often guns stop criminals because who reports a crime that doesn't happen? But people use guns in self-defense every day. Often just showing a gun is enough to prevent the crime. When robbers broke into Joyce and Raymond Pappin's home and attacked Raymond, he yelled, Get the gun, get the gun. Joyce did, and when the robbers saw it, they ran away. Boy, when he saw the gun, he just started running, and they weren't just walking fast. They were running. They had boots on. You could hear them boots a-clopping. Joyce says having a gun changes the balance of power. And here's a controversial idea. Some Virginia Tech students say they wish students had been allowed to carry guns, because one of them might have stopped the killer before he shot so many people. And that's what happened five years ago at the Appalachian School of Law. Hearing shots, two students went to their cars, got their guns, and helped restrain this shooter until police arrested him. One of the things that the gun does is it equalizes unequals. 
My mom told me when I was a young boy, because she was armed, she was never afraid. So, gun control isn't necessarily crime control. In fact, the National Academy of Sciences reviewed hundreds of studies and could not document a single gun regulation that reduced violent crime or murder. If someone gets into your house, which would you rather have, a handgun or a telephone? You can call the police if you want, and they'll get there, and they'll take a picture of your dead body. But they can't get there in time to save your life. The first line of defense is you. And it'll be no surprise to you that we've heard from a lot of viewers on both sides of the gun control issue. Here are a few samples of what they wrote. If you actually believe fighting gun crimes with guns are the solution, you're highly mistaken. Maybe we should wonder why we have one of the highest crime rates from all the modernized nations. And another viewer agreed. The bad news for crimes involving guns, the U.S. rate is incredibly high compared to other developed nations. We have the highest crime rate and the other developed nations are not even close to our horrible death rate, killing each other with guns. But others had a different point of view. Criminals prefer an unarmed public. Our nation's worst crime statistics and most horrific recent events have taken place in areas that are known to be no-carry zones for law-abiding citizens. There's a reason schools make such good targets for gun violence. Only the criminal will be armed. And another viewer wrote, Canada has the same firearms heritage as the U.S., yet a fraction of the crime. Reason? Guns are not the problem. People are the problem. I don't think you could have said it better, Jordan. <laughs> no, it sounds uh, sounds about right. Yeah, and that story goes back a few years because uh, Stossel was actually over at ABC News. We've got a, a, a rather interesting gun story from St. Louis this week, and we'll kick that around next. I'm Gary on Guns. Good morning. Glad to have you with us. Sheree Tolson Rice, uh, a Second Amendment supporting member of the State House, is on board with us this morning. Uh, and then Jordan is in from Powderhorn Guns and Archery. A story that Cam Edwards wrote over at Bearing Arms. Police in St. Louis, Missouri announced on Thursday that the 19-year-old who murdered a teacher and student at his former high school this week had purchased the rifle used in the attack from a private seller, and here's the key, after he previously failed a background check for gun purchases, uh, or for a gun purchase, at an area retailer. Um, so, Jordan, based on this uh, latest piece of gun control legislation uh, at the Fed level, when you get a NICS check failure, are you... Uh, you know, does the FBI have an obligation to contact local police? So under the new legislation that they just kind of start putting in, that is, that is my belief, yes. They have a time frame they're supposed to contact. 24 hours. Yeah, contact local police. Of course, there were no systems for any of this, and they gave them, what, two or three months heads up. Hey, you gotta you got to figure out how to do this. So needless to say, I, I, I doubt that that, could, that actually happens because I don't know how they contact them. Do they fax them? I mean, you think about it. That's actually the way we contact the ATF a lot on traces is faxing. You talk about some old technology right there and things, <laughs> balls that get dropped all the time by, by that because I never know if it actually goes through. And I mean, there's lots of that stuff. So, yes, they are uh, obliged to contact them. And now we are obliged to put in the address um, for people who get delayed and uh, people who get denied. We have to give them the address now. So that, that's the new kicker uh, for, for the legislation they came up with. 
Well, some gun control activists are pointing to this as a reason to pass universal background checks, Cam writes. There's been very little discussion about whether or not state and local police were notified about the Nick's denial, something that was supposed to happen within 24 hours under the law signed by President Biden earlier this year. Apparently, they were not. They were not notified. Um, the Bipartisan Nick's Denial Notification Act uh, was signed to great fanfare back in March, <clears throat> with supporters arguing the legislation would allow for more protections, or prosecutions rather, for falsifying information on the background check forms uh, that gun uh, buyers uh, fill out. We know it as the Nick's check. But it apparently didn't work. Uh, so, Cherie, <laughs> yes. let's kind of kick this around. Is there a solution to this? I don't know what that is. Um, but I do, do know there were so many things gone awry on, on this particular case. Number one, after he um, failed the next check and he went to the individual to get a gun, um, his parents called the police. Yes. And they, uh, for some reason, maybe the parents were felons and couldn't be in possession of a gun. They gave it to another person uh, who could legally have a firearm. But I think here was the key. That person gave the gun back to him and shouldn't have. I wonder if there is uh, some legal ramification for giving it back to him. I think he could be liable, um, uh, open to lawsuits and all kinds of things. But um, I don't know if you mind if i mention something about the school too there were seven unarmed guards and i think people if you're going to have a guard what good does it do if they're not armed missouri law allows schools there's about 25 right now there was a law passed in 2014 uh, an administrator a teacher uh you know the can can even carry guns if they go through a training course and i think that's the key right there is to be trained and i know some schools want to do this but only the school board can approve it see that's why you're one of my favorite legislators if not my very favorite legislator thank you because you nailed it you're exactly right you know if you uh jordan are wearing a uniform you were in law enforcement uh, so you know what happens wearing a uniform. The bad guys know right away who you are, right? That's, that's correct. It's the first level of uh, use of force continuum, actually. Officer presence, uniformed officer presence. Yeah, so if you were a uniformed officer not carrying a firearm, what would be the likelihood of you getting shot in an encounter with a bad guy that's armed? Uh, like that, it seems pretty high. Yeah, it seems pretty you close to... Let him go or... Or uh, get uh, get shot at in an encounter like that. Yeah, that's bad. So if you have security in a school wearing a uniform but not armed, well, maybe what we should do is just paint a great big red target on your back. <laughs> because that's what you are, right? You're a target. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, that's going to be, they, they even, even for the SROs, the actually armed ones, they talk about that. You're going to be the first target. and. At first, it was a bad thing, and then we started saying, you know, it's actually a good thing. We want them to look for you and spend time looking for you to, to, to do damage to you first so they're not doing damage to anybody else in the meantime. But, uh, yeah, being unarmed, that's – I turned down several positions uh, that were offered to me years ago because of that fact. I'm like, you guys are 
it's the one person you want to be armed. Uh, of course, you know, I was young and it was me, and I was like, well, you want me to be armed. I've, I've been through so much. I've done so much training. You, you want me to be the guy. And no, school districts don't, especially people who, especially the officers that work for school districts, not for a police department that then gets hired by the school district. My first wife, who passed away uh, several years ago, many years ago, uh, was in desegregation and security for the Cleveland uh, Board of Education, Cle uh, Cleveland, Ohio schools, and was in some of the worst schools uh, in the community. I mean, these were very violent, very tough schools. And she wasn't allowed to be armed. And interestingly enough, and maybe it's just my own naivete, but it never occurred to me that she was in harm's way. I mean, she, she would stand at the, uh, at the door as people uh, would, would come in and out of the school and she would say yes, no, yes, no. Um, desegregation, being in security in a school is a very potentially dangerous job. Security, I think, anywhere is, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, you'd, you'd have thought that uh, they would be armed. Um, and what was unfortunate, Gary, even though you had seven guards within the school, it took one of them calling 911, and then it took like four minutes for them to arrive on the scene, and then another eight minutes before they stopped the shooter. So... <laughs> You know, again, you you mentioned this earlier. You know, nine one one in in one hand on the phone, but you can't do anything. Yeah, what's the old adage? Uh, when seconds count, police are minutes away, and it's not because they're not trying to do their job or they're not doing their job well. They just can't be everywhere at once. That's why I wish that uh, in Boone County and in Columbia, that they would engage and let teachers and staff that are willing. Take the classes and do what Cherie talked about some of those other schools doing. Yeah, we have over 600 school districts in Missouri, and to have um, 24, 25 of them that have armed personnel. Now, I must say, Gary, I think most, maybe not all, schools in Boone County do have armed school resource officers. Uh, and that would include Columbia Public Schools is my understanding. And so that makes me feel good for those children and, and teachers. Yeah, it's better, but it's not optimal. I think optimal is, geez, we don't know who will step into the uh, breach and stop this. Uh, you just, uh, you know, you have that anonymity that I think uh, protects everybody. But it is, like you said, it's better to have that than nothing at all. Missouri police uh, didn't need a red flag law to confiscate the teen's gun, at least if they were aware of the fact that he was ineligible to purchase one. Under both state and federal law, those who have been involuntarily committed to a mental institution are prohibited from possessing firearms, and multiple media outlets have reported that the murderer's family had been concerned about his mental health to the point that they had committed him to treatment. We'll kind of kick this around a little bit next, too. Because we got powder horn guns and archery in Jordan and, of course, Cherie Tolson Rice on Gary on Guns. It is Gary on Guns. Glad to have you with us. Cherie Tolson Rice, member of the State House, uh, Second Amendment supporter, on board with us along 
with Jordan from Potterhorn Guns and Archery. And I'm going to tell you a story out of Cleveland, Ohio, and you guys are not going to believe this. I was going to, I was going to tip Brian off to this, but he probably uh, wouldn't have believed it either. All right, so here we go. According to news reports, on September 14th, while the school was in lockdown, the assistant principal of a Cleveland high school allowed masked teens with guns into the school to protect them from police officers outside. What? The teens reportedly pulled up to the high school in three stolen cars. The school security officer who saw them arrive called 911 and the school went into lockdown. Part of the 911 call recording has someone saying repeatedly, don't let them in the building and do not let anybody through the door. Uh, dispatch uh, responds, keep the school locked down. Despite this, the school's two assistant principals allowed the teens into the school. A witness statement explains, I instructed the four suspects to come into the vestibule because it was unsafe to be outside because I saw police officers. What? <laughs> Unbelievable. I hope they're fired. The Cleveland Metropolitan School District issued a statement confirming that the males entered a controlled, secured area that is specifically designed to prevent access to the rest of the building. Cleveland police had already arrived on the scene and were able to make arrests. The staff members made a split-second decision that the individual thought was the best way to keep the students and staff safe. However, police body cam video allegedly showing the events once police arrived indicate that as soon as the police entered the vestibule, all four of the suspects bolted and ran. Uh, three were eventually apprehended after a chase. The video ends with someone saying, the administrator let them in the building when we tried to grab them. How's that for insanity? That's insanity. Isn't that, it? That is stupid. <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> it is just... Now, if that vestibule was so safe, how did they run? They must have had access to the rest of the building. So it wasn't like they let the cured area where everybody would be safe. They were just sitting in the vestibule. And they let them in. They let armed, masked people who arrived in, in three stolen cars into the school to protect them from the police. That just... My head wants to explode. Gary, did I hear you say one time you can't fix stupid? Yes. <laughs> and we we also have coined another phrase that's dumber than stupid. <laughs> I had not heard that one. Yeah. Uh, Garson uh, brought that one into the world. Uh, let me uh, let me go grab a, a quick phone call or two. Uh, Rick is on the line. Rick, welcome. How are you? Well, great. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, you know, this last week, uh, Clark Lane, a convenience store, a man argued with a female employee there and then took out a gun and shot at her. Well, he was either an awful shot, but he put a bullet through her pant leg. I don't want this man ever on the street again. 
you know, the police should not have to deal with these people over and over and over because Jeff City has decided we're going to have revolving doors on our prisons. You know, and of course, Cherie mentioned that she was in that meeting the other night. And I'm sure that those ladies who were disagreeing with her would disagree with me. Oh, no, we can't keep them away. Well, no, we must keep criminals, especially shooters, away from we the people. And thank you. All right, Rick, thank you. Thanks, Rick. I know I, I know who you are, and I appreciate you calling in. Uh, Brian, you know how good the Babylon Bee can be? Oh, how yes, did, one of my favorite they, newspapers. How do they, out, how do they out, out, uh, out stupid the Cleveland Board of Education? I don't think he can. I mean, you're, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's something they would write. By the way, they did confiscate a couple of guns that the kids had on them. Um, one was wanted for an unrelated uh, robbery, uh, plus the stolen cars. You mean, yeah, let's let them into school. That's good. You mean you mean they weren't legally purchased firearms? It's <laughs> uh, strange, uh, Gary. Yeah, I, don't, I don't understand. <laughs> Where could they? How did they do that? Uh, Lord, Chris, welcome. Glad to have you on Gary on Guns. How are you? All right. After that dumb story, you might want to tell people you're from, you know, Columbus. <laughs> you don't Cleveland want to be associated. Heights. Yeah, oh, there Heights. you go. That's different. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the guy just called in on that Clark Lane deal I wanted to throw in. Uh, I just tend to do this when I'm bored, I guess. I looked that guy up that did that shooting, and, and apparently he was ticked with the woman. I'm guessing my guess would be it's probably some, you know, whatever, but shot at her feet to scare her and hit her pants leg. But, uh, he generally was not a, you know, like a big criminal, but four years ago, he got nailed for felony assault, domestic violence, breaking and entering, so some sort of a deal with a woman, I assume. And uh, they put him, you know, typically, they put him on four years suspended sentence. The guy broke his probation several times, all kinds of violations. They wouldn't come into court, arrested him, put him back in jail, another $5,000 bond. And they decided, well, you know, we need to keep him on probation. Which, of course, to me, that's your first sign that he's not cooperating. His probation expired this month on that, or his, his four-year suspended sentence. So the good news for him is he doesn't go directly to jail. It's like, well, my four years, that's kind of what I was reading. My four-year deal is over. I'm free to go do whatever I want to do. And that's just about what I read into it. He, he, he made it to the end, and he went and did it again. Little misogynistic, isn't he? Well, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe some smart judge will look at that this time and go, I think it's time to teach you a lesson, and after you, you fire the gun there, no, I hope so, but I'm not, uh, I'm not confident it won't happen again. Oh, man, that is insane. Chris, thank you for the call. Glad to have you in the Gary Nolte. Can you imagine getting shot at and just having the, 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 the round go through your pant leg and not hit you? No, we can't. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's an old saying that's like getting shot at and missed. And and that <laughs> that really is. Holy moly. Um, all right, uh, let's move on because we got a lot more ground to cover here in Missouri. The governor rejected uh, gun control demands after that school shooting in St. Louis. Well, there were more than half dozen school security officers on the campus at Central Visual and Performing Arts High School on Monday morning. When the armed former student managed to gain entry into the school, none of the security officers were armed themselves. 
that's apparently the official policy of the St. Louis Public Schools, but Missouri Governor Mike Parson says it's a policy that needs to change. Uh, the governor and I don't see eye to eye on a lot of things. Some things we do, and this is one that I, I that we've been kicking around here this morning. You should never be afraid to give security officers a weapon if they're truly trying to defend students or teachers. If those officers would have been armed yesterday, this might have been a whole different turnout. So just to wrap it up, I think he's exactly right. It's exactly what we've been talking about here at Gary on Guns. Uh, and uh, it, it really could save a lot of lives. In the meantime, we could be grateful that we're not in Oregon. Um, What's going on in Oregon, Gary? Oh, they're, they're funny you should ask, Bigfoot Grant. <laughs> um, there, there's, there's, there are all kinds of strange things going on uh, in Oregon and around the country. There's one gun control activist that wants Glocks to be reclassified as machine guns. <laughs> oh, come on. Perfect. Yeah, another uh, another Babylon B. Not just Glocks, actually. The Violence Policy Center's Kristen Rand um, want the ATF to broadly reclassify semi-automatic rifles, uh, semi-automatic firearms as machine guns. Um, and it's gaining traction in the gun control lobby. Uh, with no chance of new gun control laws passing on Capitol Hill, the Supreme Court likely to undo some of the existing infringements already on the books. Cam Edwards writes, the White House and the executive branch agencies are going to be one of the uh, only places where groups like this, these uh, anti-gun people, can expect to find any traction. And they're aiming big. Their argument, one that uh, gun control group Brady has also made in a recent lawsuit, is that many models of semi-automatic firearms are readily converted into machine guns, which would subject them to their and their owners to provisions of the National Firearms Act. So, if it's a semi-automatic that can be converted to fully automatic, they're saying it should be classified as fully automatic. We're going to get some feedback uh, here in just a second uh, from uh, both Jordan and Cherie. On Gary on Guns. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Uh, pleased to tell you that uh, we've got Powderhorn Guns and Archery on board. Jordan is with us. Cherie Tolson Reich is with us. And uh, she is a state legislator and a Second Amendment supporter. Uh, gun control activists, uh, Jordan, want to classify any semi automatic handgun that can be converted to fully automatic as automatic, uh, which would mean, well, actually, it would mean you can't even sell them. Wouldn't it? I mean, uh, no, I could sell them. Uh, we well, we are class four dealers, so we sell uh, well, full yeah, autos. Do they still make? Are there any new full autos that are available? No, no. So they don't make full autos available. That is correct. We get them for uh, samples that we do for law enforcement. Uh, I have several of those where we go out and and test and evaluate them for for small law enforcement agencies. So if they not. classify a Glock as a full auto, it would be the same as a Tommy gun. Well, what if we reverse this on them and we say, okay, so you're saying a full auto is the same as a semi-auto. So full auto should be legal and we shouldn't have to get a tax stamp. Is that is that correct? Uh, that won't sell. That's, you know that. <laughs> I mean, if we let them prove that point, I think we go to court. We could we could probably still win that if we can have them agree beforehand that semi-autos and autos are the same. 
then, well, what's the point of having full autos outlawed if they're all the same? Well, the problem, Cherie, is that BATF can redefine anything it wants. Yeah. We've seen it do it with arm braces and bump stocks. I know. And that's where the legislators, you know, at the federal level aren't making these laws. They're making policy, you know, at, at the cabinet, at the uh, local level within departments. And, and this Department of Justice has gone so rogue anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's insane that they can redefine things at will uh, and get away with it. Uh, the bump stock thing just makes me crazy. And and I don't have one. I don't want one. I don't see any point in having them. But it's it's just the fact that they can do this at will. Uh, and that tells me there's, you know, there's nowhere they can't go with this. Unless the Supreme Court rejects the National Firearms Act. Well, you know, Gary, um, I'm sure you've talked about this um, over the last several months when the Supreme Court did the Bruin, and for those in the audience, that's B-R-U-E-N decision and the impact that it's going to have. I mean, we've had several recent cases. Just one came out uh, two days ago, I believe. No, yesterday in Hawaii. And um, the one out of New York state where a federal judge halted a lot of the new york's new gun laws and yeah. labeled them as unconstitutional yeah so there it, it to a certain extent is protecting them but this would be batf it would it would um it would doesn't have to go through the legislature uh it would be years in the making and we would all be criminals well uh, not not us we we don't have <laughs> we don't have those we're law-abiding citizens yeah 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 um, all right, uh, it just it's the insanity of it all. Uh, by the way, show and tell coming up in just a few minutes. Can't wait. I've been looking at them in the corner. Jordan's yes. going to show yes. Yeah, it's hard to keep your eyes off of them. You just you like kind of they're uh, drool worthy, frankly. Um, but anyway, uh, so this is what they want to do. They want to reclassify semi-automatic as automatic. Uh, they might get away with it for a while. But frankly, the National Firearms Act really is not constitutional, is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've put restrictions on the, a lot of amendments. We have put restrictions on most amendments, most constitutional amendments. When it gets right down to it, we've done something to almost all of them. And like, yeah, but if... Now, of course, that's old, though. I mean, that NFA is... That's old legislation. That's been around for... You know, we're coming up on 100 years here uh, for a lot of that stuff. And... It's old, but... Uh, well, wasn't... Didn't that get passed originally uh, as a result of the war on alcohol? I don't know. After the St. Valentine's Day Massacre? With you. Can I just agree with you? Yeah, you can. I've been told that's a really good idea. Just agree with Gary. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right, Gary. It was yep. during Prohibition and a lot of the crime families. And you, you had some of the first passages in actual legislation and stuff was in the 30s. And, I mean, heck, most of the guns that are defined in, in pictures of it are old World War One, World War II era firearms that they specifically tell you what, what's a receiver, what's a barrel, what makes it illegal, what you can't own, what you can't own. Cherie, have you fired full automatic weapons? Have you ever had the, the opportunity? I have not. I have uh, been out at, uh, like, Green Valley Rifle and Pistol Club and other places where I've watched people. Um, so I've seen it done, but not actually done it myself. Oh, well, we have to... We've got to do something day. about that, mm -hmm. Jordan. It sounds like we need a range day. I happen to have a couple of HKUSPs just <laughs> just waiting for the Hallsville Police Department and some other people to look at. They'd be, uh, <laughs> they'd be a lot of fun when it gets warm again. 
I you remember, know, Gary, it's not uh, the number of guns you have. It's that you got to have plenty of ammo <laughs> for those guns. That's, that's fact. That's that's true. <laughs> but I, you know, I think what you should do is uh, make an arrangement to go out and fire a full automatic weapon. Uh, it, it it is, Jordan. It is fun. It just isn't very efficient. It it is really good for what it's made for, um, which is you know room combat distances. Uh, 12 feet unless it's super efficient to put lots of rounds on target in a very short amount of time. Um, it is super efficient at that. But that's that's it. Once you start getting it outside of those ring combat distances, it's hard to control to keep on a, a, a regular 18-inch target and things like that. They are a lot of fun, but man, they are expensive. 30 rounds in 3.1 seconds and you start going, oh, gosh. <laughs> it hits my pocketbook pretty hard. Yeah, yeah it does. <laughs> but boy, I'll tell you what, for a few seconds... Smiles. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. All right. We, I'm, I'm going to make it my mission to get Sheree out to uh, Green Valley. Uh, Green Valley. What am I saying? Uh, Green Valley. Green Valley. Yeah, Green Valley. Okay, was, uh, and, uh, and get a, a full auto uh, experience. Uh, I did it, and it was fun. Uh, but like uh, Jordan said, it was not very efficient and uh, went through a magazine in no time at all. Mm -hmm. But it's just kind of neat to do. Uh, anyway, uh, so this is uh, what they want to do. We'll see if they can get away with it. Uh, but uh, the courts have been pretty good on uh, the Supreme Court legislation on that Bruin case. Um, it's just, uh, it, it's been one state after another trying to find their way around it. Uh, California, New Jersey, New York, uh, they're constantly doing We'll cover uh, what they're doing in one town in California uh, in the next hour. Uh, but uh, the big news in Boston today is the fact that a seven-year-old brought a loaded handgun to a school in the city's Dorchester section, an incident that thankfully didn't result in any injuries after the gun was discovered. Uh, this was uh, Thursday afternoon. Boston's mayor is calling for accountability, while the city school superintendent says she is speechless. And there will undoubtedly be attempts, lawmakers, uh, to do something. So, uh, once again, keeping with our theme of school safety, uh, there is a new report from the state's Gun Owners Action League. Uh, goal is their, uh, you know, G-O-A-L, Gun Owners Action yeah. League. Uh, well, we'll tell you what they discovered, and we'll do show and tell in the next hour on Gary on Guns.